Hello. Thanks for listening to this Dharma podcast. I hope you consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, all of my work as a teacher is offered without charge and supported entirely by donations only. If you'd like to support this work, you'll find a PayPal button on dharmapunksnyc.com. On our website, you'll find resources and a free sample from my Wisdom Publications book, Unsubscribe, which is available at bookstores and online retail outlets. Thanks for listening. I have to acknowledge up front that I am a very secular Buddhist. Uh, While I grew up in a Buddhist household, my dad was a practitioner back when, in the 1970s, when he was rarefied uh, to have, uh, to be a Buddhist practitioner, certainly in the early 70s. um, uh, I have never been one to be interested in the metaphysics or the religious qualities of Buddhism. I've always loved the psychological insights, um, which is not to say that I don't believe that there are certain metaphysical or spiritual claims in Buddhist literature that don't offer significant, uh, wonderful insights. And so, to wit, tonight I'm going to be talking about the bardo. What is the bardo? The bardo is actually a concept that is central to Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, You might have heard of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, actually known by, uh, in many circles, by its original title, the Bardo Thodo. Uh, which was produced sometime in the 8th century. So, what is the Bardo? Well, it actually stems from an early Buddhist belief called Antara Bhava, which means a transmigratory state of being that occurs after death, before one is reborn. So, uh, I have to acknowledge straight up that Everything I'm going to talk to you about tonight, I take metaphorically, not literally. But there are many Buddhists who actually believe in this. Um, So I don't want to treat it lightly. uh, But I still think that even if, like me, you don't uh, lend it much uh, credence in terms of its feasibility you might still find something of value from understanding or familiarizing ourselves with it. So if you were interested in learning more about the Bardo, by the way, uh, I wouldn't recommend reading the actual book itself. It is stemming from a text from the 8th century, and I don't know if you've read any 8th century texts. I have tried to read the book. It is interminable. It is uh, very, very difficult to make any sense out of. But uh, it is available and for free online as a PDF. A more contemporary version uh, that I don't recommend either, but uh, Trungpa Rinpoche's book, Transcending Madness, Uh, Many people found it to be a wonderful uh, companion 
I find it to be very abstract and uh, empty of insights that are you that are, I can make much use from, but that doesn't mean it's not a value to many. Uh, in the 1960s, there was a book known as The Psychedelic Experience. Why am I mentioning this? Well, actually, The Psychedelic Experience <coughs> by two people I hope you're familiar with, Timothy Leary, anybody? And Ram Das. Yay. So they wrote The Psychedelic Experience back when they were, um, I believe they were still at Harvard, and uh, it was basically an attempt to employ the original Tibetan Book of the Dead's insights as a guide for what to expect on an LSD trip and how to relate to the experiences of taking hallucination, hallucinatory drugs. And finally, more to my speed, there's the Therapeutic Psychology of the Tibetan Book of the Dead by a psychologist known as Robert Wicks. I found that to be actually uh, really uh, a wonderful, it's not really a book, it's an extended essay, but um, between all of these books, I've thrown together a sort of a top view of the bardo, what it is, and hopefully an interpretation of why uh, I think it's of value. So bardos are transitional states. The most familiar bardo is the one that occurs after the death of the body before in uh, traditional Buddhism one is reborn into a new incarnation. And one is only reborn, by the way, if you don't become enlightened. The whole point of the Dharma is to prevent being reborn. It's a very different perspective than our uh, Judeo-Christian outlook, which is the idea is to uh, be uh, you you hopefully do something great in your lifetime, so you get to be reborn into a heavenly domain. <clears throat> Not at all the point of Buddhism. The point of Buddhism is to extinguish the craving that leads us to be reborn from one life to another. And the idea in core Buddhism <coughs> is that one is reborn because one has yet to essentially... Um, untangle the delusions that we live under and the constant craving for more, the constant craving for something that we believe is missing, when one finally sees the truth of existence, that one is complete, missing nothing, that, um, that there is nothing we need externally to uh, essentially complete us other than wise spiritual friends, then one extinguishes all the cycles of rebirth and one finally at the end one's existence is snuffed out, extinguished. So that's the goal. Uh, but if you fail, then you get reborn. And the idea is that in being reborn you get to re-experience all the stresses and struggles and disappointments of Life. They didn't have an exactly optimistic or cheery view of existence. So there's four kinds of uh, bardo states. The most familiar, the 
one that follows death. But the other three are far more familiar to us. One is the state of when we're dreaming. That's a bardo state. That's called Rimalam bardo. And we'll see what, uh, I'll explain what all of these four conditions have in common. This, the third bardo after what follows death and dreaming is meditation and trance state. So if you get into some form of a trance through dance or through any other activity that transports you to a different uh, psyche, then you are in what's known as DNA bardo. And then the last and most poetic of the bardos is life itself. In Tibetan Buddhism, our existence is a bardo in and of itself. It's a, um, it's a transmigratory state. So, what happens when we enter a bardo? Well, it is said that it starts with a void or a, an emptiness and from which all of what we experience as reality or we perceive arises. And in more hallucinatory bardos or more disorienting bardo states, beings that are alive and dead, spiritual entities such as compassionate Buddhas, but also uh, demonic harukas and other forms of demonic incarnations are um, present. Now, one of my favorite books that talks about the bardo is by the wonderful writer George Sanders. Anybody familiar with him? Sanders is a, a brilliant Tibetan Buddhist writer, and he wrote a book about two years ago called Lincoln in the Bardo. It's not about our ex-president being in the Bardo. It's about Lincoln's son, who died when uh, I think the child was about 10. It's about Lincoln's son's experiences in the Bardo state. <coughs> in this book, Saunders writes, nothing was real, and yet everything was real. All things started from nothing, latent within a vast energy broth. But then we named them, we loved them, and in this way we brought them forth. So we're already beginning to get a sense in this passage that in Bardo uh, uh, interpretations, there is this understanding that the mind or our psyche plays a significant role in what we perceive to be the real or what we perceive around us. Now, the bardo body that we experience in any of these states, whether we're dreaming or in a trance or we are in the after-death state, is said to be very different than uh, what we often experience the body to be. It's largely weightless, untethered. It changes shapes. It's unconstrained. Now, from a psychological perspective, this would be known as a state of depersonalization, very similar to what happens in dissociative trauma states where the body is no longer felt because what one is experiencing around us is so overwhelming. So in many ways, the bardo uh, that is described in these texts is a little bit like what one experiences during a trauma where 
the left hemisphere is largely overwhelmed, the right hemisphere becomes far more engaged in determining and perceiving reality, and there's a significant lack of awareness, though, of one's sensory, physical experience. Um, Wick says that due to this depersonalization state that happens in a bardo, in quotes, absolutely terrifying states of consciousness arrive due to the disembodied consciousness. It fails to forsake unconscious tendencies time and time again. In other words, our unconscious is far more present. Deities appear to be real to the disembodied. So the less you feel your body, the more your fantasies, fears, projections, your unconscious, uh, it's almost a manic or a completely unconstrained state where things that are latent become now very vivid and seem very real. (coughs) It's very disorienting. Familiar routines are disrupted. Ideas, stories, and beliefs that helped us make sense of our life. And in our uh, mature minds, which are generally very left hemispheric, there's a constant, you've probably noticed it, thinking going on. Thinking is a little bit like the voiceover in a documentary. It what It's what essentially coheres and gives a sense of meaning and a sense of uh, a message or a point to everything that we observe or experience. If suddenly, suppose you, I did this once as an exercise, if you watch a uh, you know, a new show or a documentary, and you turn off the volume, and all you see is images, very quickly, you have no idea what you're watching. It's all just these images popping, and first there's a frog, and (laughs) then there's a deer, and then there's a, you know, a cloud. This is assuming that you're watching a nature documentary and not not a news show, but you get the idea. The thoughts, the narrative that we carry around in our mind are what allows our life to have a sense of coherence, a sense of a narrative, a story, a point to it. But in a Bardo state, very much similar to a trauma, there's no left hemispheric narrative anymore. The sensations are overwhelming, they're fast, And due to the fact that it's uh, a very right hemispheric-like state, the right hemisphere, by the way, of the brain is timeless. There's uh, events that happened to you 30 years ago can feel just as real as if they happened yesterday. Uh, That's why in dreams you might see people who are long dead, because in dreams your left hemisphere is largely switched off, but the right hemisphere, which has been in the background during your conscious life is now still functioning. So we see people from different periods in our life, from different domains, and we're stuck once again in very upsetting situations. This is what a Bardo state is very much like. So one experiences (coughs) extreme emotions, fears, cravings, senses of persecution, Primal emotions, and emotions are right hemispheric, dominate uh, awareness, 
rational thought is now significantly impaired. Trungpa Rinpoche writes, in the bardo, one experiences the realm of jealous gods, the human realm of passion, the animal realms of confusion and aggression, the hungry ghost, hungry ghosts, familiar with those? I love them. In traditional Buddhism, if you've lived a life of addiction and craving, you're reborn as a hungry ghost. What's a hungry ghost? It's this strange-looking bowling ball-type being that has a big, distended belly and a very long, thin neck with a tiny mouth. And the whole point of these beings is that they can never consume enough to satisfy their enormous bellies. <coughs> so one can wind up in the hungry ghost realm of craving and addiction or the hell realm of fear and pain. So this is hardly a Scandinavian tour of the uh, islands. This is a often very dark uh, realm. And um, as Wick says, consciousness degenerates into increasingly hellish and horrific experiences of bewilderness, selfishness, and animal aggression. If you haven't uh, latched onto it, what these realms all have in common is that one encounters one's repressed. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But essentially, all the parts of ourselves, the fears, the emotions that we're uncomfortable with and put out of awareness, we are engaged with during this transmigratory state. So what is the purpose of all this? Why are we being so tortured? Well, actually, the Tibetan Book of the Dead makes it very clear that the role of the bardas is to offer people an opportunity to become enlightened, to be liberated. It's actually in this state where one is confronted with one's greatest fears, one's most uncomfortable emotional states, one's most uh, inappropriate inclinations and so forth, one's greatest fears are projected in front of one, that one is given the opportunity to, and here it is, to realize that all experience is to a certain degree nothing but a projection of our own unconscious. The core insight of the Bardo or, and of Tibetan Book of the Dead is that much of what we experience in our lives especially in our fears, our obsessive ideations, our concerns, our <coughs> fantasies, are nothing but projections from parts of ourselves that we have been running from or avoiding. And if we can see through these illusions, what is said to happen is that they suddenly <coughs> all disappear. And that what it replaces this illusion is this sense of lightness and illumination and clarity and liberation where everything we see we no longer take as seriously as we did before and at that point one no longer is reborn so the point of a bardo whether it's in uh, uh, the uh, in the traditional sense of the after death or in a trauma state or in a 
any other states such as meditation or dreams is to awaken. It offers an opportunity to see through the delusions, the projections that we are constantly uh, uh, essentially masking over experience. Um, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, when one's own mind is completely free from all these conceptual projections, the mind becomes luminous, intrinsic awareness of one's own inner radiance and emptiness is experienced, and that is Buddha nature. Now, <clears throat> this is an extremely difficult thing to do, though. It's a little bit like being in a dream and realizing, holy shit, this is a dream, right? It does happen, but it's pretty fucking rare, right? I can think of maybe one time in my life where I've had such a weird dream that I've gone, okay, come on, come on. <laughs> All right, I'm not awake right now. This is not happening. But then what happens when that, hap when that occurs is you wake up, right? And then all of the illusions disappear when you're in a dream and you go, oh, hey, wait a second, this is a dream, this is not real. There's nobody, like, you know, suddenly sneaking into my room, you know, and I, I, I can't run, this is just too weird. And then suddenly all of it's gone. Well, that's what the point of the Bardos are, to offer that remote glimmer of a chance that we'll be able to suddenly realize that what we're experiencing during our greatest reactive states is actually not real. Now, if we fail to see through the delusion that we live amongst, it's said in a Bardo state that after seven days, everything goes dark and you're back in another Bardo state. And then you get seven days to realize the delusion that you're in. Then everything goes dark and then you get seven more days, and you get seven of these weeks. You get seven weeks, or 49 days. And then if you fail in those 49 days to wake up, then boom, you're back in another corporeal existence. You could wind up an animal, you could wind up a nice animal, you could wind up a human being, but you'll be back in a corporeal state. Tibetan Book of the Dead says there's no experience extraneous to what originates in our own mind. So it's only through observing one's own mind and its nature again and again that one has a possibility of awakening. So what it's urging is to become familiar, to reacquaint ourselves with our unconscious fears, the parts of ourselves we've rejected or dismissed or run from, as a hope that we will recognize it when we are in a Bardo state. Now, this is where I bring up with great joy Timothy Leary and Ram Das, because if you have been uh, noting, uh, Bardo's are very similar to hallucinatory states induced by ayahuasca, LSD, or um, any other uh, uh, serotonic-based uh, uh, self-induced uh, drug state. Anybody ever done any of that? You don't have to raise your hand. I did it countless times. It was the 70s, come on, and 80s. Uh, <coughs> so, uh, 
in uh, taking an hallucinogen, you're flooding the thalamus with serotonin. When you do that, it stops gating. What is gating? Gating is uh, essentially the executive secretary of your brain that keeps out all the thoughts and inclinations and fears and concerns that you don't want to think about or be aware of as you focus through your life. Uh, to the degree that the thalamus is not very good with gating, it makes it very difficult to focus, which is why children find it much more difficult to focus and why ADHD is and ADD is constantly being over-diagnosed because the simple formation and structuring and development of the neocortex makes it difficult in early life to gate out different concerns, fears. But by the time we're adults, we become very, very good at gating most of the time. We can gate out uh, concerns that are worrisome, uh, emotions that we haven't yet come to grips with. But when you flood the thalamus with serotonin, what happens is the gating is diminished. And suddenly all these different repressed inclinations and sensory experiences that have been dwelling in the right hemisphere behind the scenes is now being experienced consciously. And so due to that, left hemispheric capabilities such as language diminishes. <clears throat> in the psychedelic experience, Ramdas and Leary and Richard Metzger says that the key uh, the key to learn from the Tibetan Book of the Dead is that when torturing here, I quote, when torturing visions come, the first impulse one will experience is to flee in panic and terror, not caring where one goes so long as one goes out. One should never flee the pain nor pursue pleasure. Recognition is all that is necessary. It is unwise to struggle against or flee the visions one experiences. The real nature of what is frightening you is nothing but the void inside yourself. It's pretty heavy. I like this. Uh, maybe it's not just because I'm neurotic Jew, but also because uh, I loved D.W. Winnicott, and Winnicott famously wrote that we are only frightened of what we've already experienced. It is not possible to be frightened or terrified of something you've yet to experience. People who are terrified of rejection are terrified of it because they've already experienced an early rejection in their family system. People who are terrified of separation are terrified of it because they've lost someone, an attachment figure, earlier on. People who are frightened of attack or physical overwhelm are terrified of that because they've been attacked. And so all of our fears and all that we are terrified of are that which we've already survived. And so what Leary and Ramdas are pointing to is that we don't need to be as reactive, as overwhelmed and as frightened by what we are frightened of because we have already survived it in the past. We are only terrified of what we've already known. So, as in life and drug states, reaction and avoidance makes 
illusion scarier. The more we react, the more what we fear seems real and overwhelming. The less we react, the more we relax, breathe, observe, the less terrifying and the more familiar the, fam- the fears seem. Trungpa Rinpoche says, everything that we see are projections. If you're going too far with anything you see, they'll shake you, they'll beat you to death. But they're all just heightened qualities of different types of ego and the possibilities of detaching the ego are what is necessary. In peak experiences in life, there's the possibility of losing the grip of these projections. One can choose between freedom or imprisonment. Finally, before we uh, will meditate on these themes, uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead and Wicks notes that uh, everything we see that's good, and not only everything we see that's terrifying is part of ourselves, but everything that we see is good and healing and desirous and powerful is also a part of ourselves. So the gods, the deities, the liberatory beings, the angelic devas that one encounters in a vision are also projections of one's own capabilities and one's own shadow self. So we should read not only what we see in visions, dreams, uh, and in that which we project onto others as external, we should understand that anything we experience, just like anything we fear, we have already known and are, is already a part of ourselves. As Wicks notes, enlightenment doesn't depend upon assistance or punishment from any cosmic or godlike entity. The path becomes available when we recognize that all the qualities we see in deities reflect our own capabilities. So what we see externally is always a projection of that which is a part of ourselves that at times we've repressed or lost contact with. Jung, I I like Jung, I'm not a Jungian, but I, I like him. Jung said that bardos are a confrontation with one's own shadow self the shadow consisting of all those inclinations and all those emotions and desires and, uh, and, emo- and just states of being that have been deemed inferior by the world, by our society. And in <coughs> Winnicottian theory, when we're children and we are desperate to be accepted and loved and seen and nurtured by caregivers, but at times they don't succeed in making us feel safe or seen or loved, what we do is we construct a false self showing only the parts that people love and approve, but we repress and we uh, don't acknowledge all the inclinations that when we, exp- when we act you know, frustrated or sad or angry, those emotional states that our parents shun or criticize or turn away from, those wind up in the repressed. And in our fears in life, our obsessions, our, our fantasies, 
what we encounter once again is this shadow self. And so the bardo can be seen, in short, as a vast psychology that basically says that there are times in our existence where we will encounter all those uh, most uh, resonant and emotionally uh, troubling parts of ourselves, And the way forward is not to continue the process of avoidance or repression or running from those parts of ourselves, but to stand and observe and to take in and to see that it's all just our own psyche, nothing more. And then when we do that, all of the delusion falls away and liberation becomes possible. So I thank you for listening. I hope something was worth uh, pondering in there. So now let's meditate. So at this time, just allow the sensations that you've been working with to recede slightly to the background of the stage of awareness and bring to the front of awareness some concern, worry, fear, something that of late has been nagging those distressing catastrophizing even thoughts that sometimes can keep us up at night or just create a sense of tension. The very thoughts that we, or worries that we struggle so hard to keep from awareness actually welcome entering this bardo state where you confront something that is a, a present fear For some, it might be loss of a relationship, aging, difficulty at work or finding work, difficulty in one's living situation, 
concerns about being socially isolated or disconnected from those we love. And just allow these worry, this dreaded content to play in front of you, much like what one would experience in a bardo state, where (coughs) one encounters the most distressing experiences. What is it we've been running from? When you invite it, rather than just wait for it to come unbidden, it's far less overwhelming. For some of us, it might be winding up penniless or isolated, alone, Just allow the mind to create whatever it wants to create, to visualize the experience and then stand before it without trying to push it away. With this knowing that this is something I've already experienced. I would not fear it had I not already worked through, survived this. No matter what it is I'm frightened of, I have already survived it. And what makes it so terrifying is simply the repression of the memories, the desire to not integrate these painful experiences into my life. But when one realizes that all one fears is simply those painful experiences in life that we've tried to push away and that in turning towards and recognizing what we see or worry about is simply a part of our own experience. Relaxing the body, keeping the breath long, the out-breaths long. What we dread is simply that which we have failed to acknowledge.
And then knowing that everything, all our most worrisome, catastrophizing thoughts are just projections of repressed emotional content. Just see through it. as it were, wake up from the dream itself, back into the present, back into your body, back into what is actually occurring right now with a sense of clarity, a greater sense of awareness.